Welcome everyone to episode 129 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin to discuss Liverpool's 2-1 win over West Ham. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So it's three wins in a row for Liverpool. We've not said that much this season, if at all. It was a game that actually trailed it, thanks to Lucas Paqueta's goal from distance, but it wasn't long before Liverpool equalised in this one through Cody Gakpo. And then in the second half, about midway through, Joel Matip heading home the winner to give Liverpool the three points. And it's a victory that significantly moves them up, I believe, to sixth place in the table um, above Tottenham opponents on Sunday. And we'll come to that game later. Six points after top four at the time of recording before Newcastle travelled to Everton um, on Thursday night. So it kind of keeps those hopes alive. So, Chris, um, as usual, we'll begin with three red match reviews and just your assessment of that Liverpool performance. Yeah, good morning, Dave. Uh, I'd say my three-way match review, I'd go with European race on because Liverpool are very much in the race for European football. I've heard a lot of people, obviously, not wanting to finish seventh, and I can understand the thought process behind that. Um, while it looks somewhat unlikely at this stage Liverpool will get top four, I, I still believe the Europa League is something that Liverpool can realistically look to attack next season if they're in it, given the prize at the end of it. And I think that's ultimately when, the, when that kind of carrot's dangled in front of you. If Liverpool end up in the Europa League, it wouldn't be the end of the world at all. Uh, on the game itself, um, it was good to see fight back, good to see determination, nice to see a win in that dazzling kit before uh, before we say goodbye to it. Um, but ultimately, you know, we, we've spoken a lot this season about Liverpool going behind and not being able to really fight back from the position or bounce back from the position. And there really was a, a good attitude after going behind last night. Because sometimes as well, when you can see the goal like that, there's not really a lot you can do about it. It's a really good strike. You can say Alisson maybe near post, but it's come from... Behind Virgil van Dijk, he can't mm. see where it's gone. It's a good strike from Paqueta. Um, great hit from Gakpo. I think we'll, we'll, we'll talk about him in more detail shortly. But it was just nice to see a long-range strike as well. Because that's yeah. something that I feel um, this Liverpool team at times lack. As in just our ability to hit one from range. Mm. And if we know now, Cody Gakpo's got one in his locker. Because all of his goals before that come from inside the, inside the penalty area. And that, that's another string to his bow from a really impressive start to his Liverpool career. Um, and then later on, of course, I, I thought in real time Bowen's goal was offside, even being honest. Um, and I, it was one of them where you have to, you, you're waiting nervously, but I did kind of feel that he, just in real time, that, that he'd gone before, before the pass. Um, and again, not perfect, but from Liverpool overall, but just good determination to keep on going. Matip should have scored just before he did. And uh, for another player as well that could well be leaving in the summer, if that is to be his last major contribution for Liverpool, then you know, we've got a lot to remember Joel Matip for. And then a few nervy moments before the end of the game, but ultimately two two away wins in a row as well. Um, and a, a, a nice win down in, down in East London. Absolutely. And just to bring, bring it back to your point about goals from range, um, I, I, look, I quickly looked at it while you were talking. Uh, Liverpool have scored seven in the Premier League this season. 
um, which sort of, I mean, it ranks them joint sixth in the league with about, you know, about five other teams. But, you know, the teams at the top, like Newcastle 13, Leicester 11, Man City yeah. 9. Um, so there's definitely sort of room for improvement there. And it did feel like a rarity, certainly, during the game. Um, my three red review uh, mentioned something that, that you alluded to there, which is first away comeback, because that is the first time Liverpool have come from behind to win an away game in the Premier League this season, which is always a barometer of a team's character, you'd have to say. Um, I think it's the first time in any competition since the 7-1 win over Rangers, which I believe is the only other time that Liverpool have, have trailed and then eventually won um, away from home this season. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that one. You, you've, you've got, you've got, think... you got, you got the cogs working here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I just ran through it in my head, and I, I think that's the only time. But so the first goal, I think, good strike. Obviously, I'm not gonna. Originally, I was like, it's gone in the middle of the goal. There must have been a big deflection. There wasn't, but I, I'm reticent to blame Allison because of the power on the strike. I, I think it's yeah. one of them where if he saves that, it's an unbelievable save. Um, and just because of the placement in the goal, I don't think it's... Uh, I'm not looking at it and saying the keeper's goal, but for that, the one thing I will say is as much as when you when you can see the goal from that range, you're like, you know, well, fair enough. There's not much we can do about that. Um, it's, you know, Paqueta seemed to advance an awful long way with the ball unopposed. Yeah. I think that was a bit of a problem for Liverpool during this game. Um and, and during this whole season has been not being able to either get close enough to people or just losing too many duels. And and sometimes that comes down to um, just getting outmaneuvered technically. Sometimes it comes down to, you know, a lack of pace and power, whatever it is. Um, it's been an issue. And I think we saw that again uh, with the first goal, really. But I think the response was good. Um, and on balance, Liverpool deserved to win the game. Um, in addition to the... The goals that they scored, they had a huge chance for Jota. Um, I think there was another opening as well where I think was it Matip who struck it and Fabianski saved on yeah. the line moments before yeah. he scored. So there were there were big opportunities in the game for Liverpool. Um aside from the goals, and they they were dominant in terms of possession. There were there were phases where it was like the old Liverpool in terms of pinning a team back and then their only recourse is to clear it and essentially give it back to you, and then the pattern of the game continues, and that was pleasing to see. And I also think a major feature of this game was the amount of quick passing in the final third. And, and that made Liverpool, you know, really good to watch um, in this one. Obviously, it didn't lead everywhere. It didn't lead, sorry, to something every single time. But um, when it did, it, it was um, very pleasing on the eye, I think. And, um, you know, West Ham had their, their moments themselves. You know, um, there was the one where Van Dijk gets a touch at the back post and Antonio's there waiting to tap in. And um, I think not long after that, he glances a, a header from a corner just wide. Obviously, disallow goal. So maybe on a different day, Liverpool lose. But they're certainly, um, maybe not owed, but they're due some victories uh, away from home and, and they got one here and um, another big step in the right direction. Top four-wise, I think the key thing you know, I was speaking to, to Farrell about this after Forest. I said, if, if we won West Ham, if we won against West Ham and Tottenham, I'd, I'd be believing. Um, and I think I will if Liverpool can get the job done on Sunday. But the big question mark is Newcastle, who just don't look like dropping that amount of points at the moment. And, and we'll see if Everton can do Liverpool a favour. Maybe some of you some of you will listen to it after that game and, and know 
the results already. But you mentioned him earlier, Chris. Uh, Cody Gakpo, and he's the first player that we'll, uh, we'll talk a bit more about today. Scorer from long range. Um, I think he's now scored as many goals as Diaz did after joining um, last January, um, which is a good effort from him in the circumstances. But yeah, what, what did you make of his all-round performance? Because he, he, he certainly played that false nine role almost to perfection, really, last night. Yeah, I, I'm, absolutely. That was something I was going to touch on. Just quickly as well, with, you mentioned with the goals from range. I was just thinking of some from the top of my head then. I think three of them were in August. Three of the seven, because you had Elliot against Bournemouth, you had Trent against Bournemouth, and you had Diaz against Crystal Palace. Yeah, so they, they true, were all, they yeah. were all back from August. So it, 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 it's the, I know we say seven, but they have been few and far between this season. Yeah, um, but no, back to back to Gakpo, because my other, if I was going to go, if I was going to focus solely on him, my three-word match report would have been the new Firmino, mm. because he came in, and I think everybody thought where's he going to fit in terms of the the left hand side because you know anyone knowing about Cody Gakpo you speak to people who watch the Eredivisie he's a he's a left sided forward he, he's, he was a left sided winger cutting in and that was the best part of his game yes we'd seen him at the World Cup play for Holland in a central role but not as a false nine as a striker ultimately but how good is he when he drops deep and collects the ball on the half turn and drives. It's just, it's so good to watch. And the way I've kind of described him to, to people is like, he's a stronger, faster Firmino. Because, like, say, for example, in the game against City, when Rodri should have got the second yellow card, it's just that ability on the, on the half mm. turn to, to collect the ball and to drive and use his strength. And even when it wasn't going that well at the start, we still saw him doing that, but without the reward. And yeah. now he's getting the rewards for that play. And it's just so good how he, how he interlinks. He's six foot two. He's, he's got presence in the air. He's got presence on the ball. Um, you can tell as well. And this is when, you know, the way football Twitter works, when people were making 007 jokes mm. about Cody Gakpo. God forbid someone has a betting in period. Yeah. Because as far as betting in periods go, I'd say he's smashing it, to be honest with you. Um He's just really, he's really connecting as well. I think with, with with players on and off the pitch. And again, he's a new lad. He's he's a young lad coming to a new country. You know, not everybody settles in the second they touch foot in England. Yeah. And I think he's getting more. He's becoming more and more impressive by the game. Um, sometimes you know, it doesn't come off. For example, for example, Forrest at the weekend. I know he came off after fifty nine minutes, but can't be perfect every game. But. More often than not, I think we are seeing that Cody Gakpo was arguably, alongside Mo Salah, becoming the second most undroppable of this Liverpool, of this new look Liverpool front three. It'd be very interesting to see if that's the case going forward. But you know, Liverpool don't have a, a, a dedicated right side of forward to to come in for Salah. Maybe that's something to look for in the next year or so. I'm not not particularly saying this summer. Yeah. But if you're saying another forward for that front three. I'd say Cody Gapo is becoming the second name there because then you've got Jota, Diaz and Nunez to fight for the left-hand side. Mm-hmm. So Gakpo's doing all he can, I think, at the moment. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, it's interesting because we've got really now the five players that we want to use as our attacking quintet yeah. sort of next season with obviously Firmino, unfortunately being injured. It means Klopp can kind of maybe 
experiment with those combinations and we might get some clues as to what his first choice um, front line is. And, you know, the thing that excites me about Gakpo is, you know, you talk about, you know, new country, um, new team, but also a new role, uh, as you yeah. alluded to as well. So as if to make the adaptation process even harder in a team that, you know, we walked into a team you know, that January was absolutely horrendous for Liverpool. And, you know, it's such a hard environment to walk into. You compare it to Diaz last year, and I know Liverpool weren't necessarily flying um, at their absolute, you know, highest when he came in. But, you know, the, it was still one of the best teams in the world, as opposed to kind of a pay limitation. Um, and I'm just really excited to see, you know, what he can do after a full preseason, really. And I think, you know, you mentioned the kind of physical attributes that he has. I think they should be even sharper um, and even more pronounced as well after a full preseason, where I think Liverpool will kind of, I think Liverpool probably sort of look at players as kind of athletes as well. And they're like, what do we kind of need from you? Because, you know, someone like Salah, for example, they probably place quite a big emphasis on his strength, given the treatment that he gets from defenders in terms of, you know, how physically they um, they tussle with him. Um, so, it'd be, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that goes. And, you know, you talk about the new Firmino there and the kind of reception that Gakpo's had. I wonder if he will be a player who's almost underrated during his Liverpool career in the same vein that Firmino has because yeah. there maybe isn't that appreciation for, for the, the totality of what he brings to the team. Um, and, and we'll see if that's the case. Maybe the source of discourse on, on that will will evolve a little bit. Um, was there something else you wanted to say before we move on? Yeah, just the, the flexibility of him as well because I, I think just on, on there was one player I wanted to touch on he didn't even start yesterday. I just, just on Darwin Nunez because it has been talked about recently as well just in terms of his treatment um, just in terms of how he's being used. And Klopp has spoken quite openly about him, hasn't he? And he's just said, you know, about the development of him. Um, again, he's still learning English, um, which the language comes more naturally to Cody Yapo as it does to the majority of Dutch players. Um, and he, I, I think, I don't want to, I'm trying to word this. I think we're all Darwin Nunez fans and I think we want to see more of him on the pitch. But I, I think Klopp's basically saying that he's still learning and, you know, it, it's important to back him when he comes on. I mean, he could well start against Tottenham, I think. I think we might see a change to that side against Tottenham, uh, which would be interesting. But um, just the flexibility, because Gakpo, then he can go out left, Nunez can come inside. Um, so that, that's another string to Gakpo's bow as well in, in order to, to help others mm-hmm. around him as well. Yeah, I think Klopp just likes the dynamic of of the front line um, with sort of having that kind of false nine presence. And, you know, on the left, it it has been Jota, who isn't like, I wouldn't say a a specialist left winger. He's more of like a wide forward. But I think the advantage that Klopp seems to think he has over Nunez is is the defensive work, you know, the the counter pressing. He mentioned it in his press conference before Nottingham Forest. Um, And then you've got sort of Diaz, who... Klopp might look at and say, well, he's got kind of the 1v1 threat that Nunez maybe doesn't have to the same extent. So he needs to kind of prove why the attributes he has make him the most valuable option if he is going to be, you know, competing on the left. Um, and we'll see kind of where he fits in in terms of how many minutes is he going to get in that centre-forward position. Um, I think his, uh, a couple of his cameos recently, you know, he sort of not maybe seized the chance as well. I think um, he's wasted a couple of opportunities. Yeah. Should have scored against Forest. Yeah, should have. And uh, yesterday there was, I think, the one where he was almost a a two v two or something, and he he goes up against the guard, and the guard sort of quite comfortably wins the duel and stuff. So obviously he came on and scored against Leeds with the past couple of games. Maybe he hasn't um, 
made the same case um, to move into the front line. But these are good problems to have. You know, this isn't necessarily the thing is now is like you don't need to when when your team's losing games, you, you think you know why aren't certain players being included? But now it's like well you don't force your way back in um, because you know you're trying to work your way into a winning side. Um, to move to the other end of the team, uh, the other goal scorer, the player who won man of the match according to BT. Joel Matip, what did you think of his performance? You've already mentioned there that he, it might be sort of a fun farewell from him. And was there anyone else who stood out to you uh, within the Liverpool eleven, or indeed the substitutes? Well, on Matip, first of all, um, it's been far from an ideal season for him, even from the very first day of the Premier League season against Fulham, where he had a shocker. Um, and it kind of set the tone for him. Um, just, just when you compare last season, which we saw the benefits last season of a fully fit Joel Matip, and those benefits were incredible, absolutely incredible. He performed, you know, so well last season that you you just forgot what it was like for him to be injured. Um, unfortunately, this year it has reverted to type a little bit. Um, I think ultimately. Klopp has spoken so highly of him and I think when he does leave, because I, I do expect him to leave in the summer, to be honest with you, um, even if it's after that, I think he will go down as one of the best free signings in Liverpool's history. Yeah, Given his, his longevity, given what he, he's given to the team, even in injury hit seasons, he has mm-hmm. provided some incredible displays. And again, I think last night we saw what it's all matters about. And to be honest, I'll hold my hands up. I said before the game, if Canate was out, I would prefer Joe Gomez in that role because of his pace to be able to cover that right-back and centre-back yeah. position. That was my main concern when it came to Matip in that can can he cover the ground enough yeah. to cover for Trent Alexander-Arnold yeah. and also do his own role? And that was my main concern. But again, I think Henderson helped him out maybe a little bit. In that regard, because there was a what there was the the moment where you say about Van Dyke defending Henderson ended up against Ben Rama in that situation. So I think Henderson probably did a little bit more help with Matip than he would have done with a Canate or a Gomez. But overall, again, you saw what Matip is good at. You saw again his aerial threat because unfortunately for Joe Gomez, having never scored a goal in his senior career, I'm not sure he would have buried a header like that <laughs> if uh, given the opportunity. Um, but that's again what 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 Matip can offer you uh, a goal scoring. Presence because uh, scored at scored at West Ham in 2017 as well in uh, in yeah. the 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 orange uh, the Dutch orange kit back uh, back in the day, um, and again he, he's a player that all Liverpool fans will remember very fondly um, for his service. Ultimately, he's he's one of the players who's, who's won the lot uh, as as well. Which you know, uh, any most players or a lot of players from this Liverpool squad to be able to say they've won the lot is 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 a brilliant achievement. Um, but I think, based on what I heard from Klopp, it was more the fact that Canate, even though he's been playing, has literally not been able to train two days in a row, um, which also pays credit to some of his displays recently, um, yeah. because he has, he, has, he has been very good. So you don't imagine Canate will be out for too long. He might be back against Tottenham uh, at, yeah. at the weekend. And in terms of other players, I think you've, you've got to highlight Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's a man reborn in that position. Yeah. Just... How naturally he comes across in terms of picking up the ball in that inverted centre back role. Because last night, I must admit, when when I had when I had the game on, I had 
you know, had City on a different screen, City, yeah. City Arsenal. I've got to admit, you know, it's one yeah. of the games of the I. season. Uh, <laughs> and again, you, you just you see, you see John Stones seeing what he's doing in that role, and you think how well he's playing there with Trent Alexander Arnold's passing range and what he can do from there. Wow, he just suits it so much. I think the debate will go on in terms of does he does he need a right back with him? Or is it good enough to have, have yeah. a centre-back cover those two roles? That is something that will have to be looked at, I do think. But then, as Klopp said, Conor Bradley, with the plan is him. The plan is to keep him. Could he be thrust into the spotlight sooner rather than later? We don't know. So, mm. um, But on yeah, on Trent Alexander-Arnold, because he's, the, he's really the main one I wanted to highlight, to be honest. Um, yeah, man reborn. And... Uh... Maybe we could do a podcast at some point on on whether Liverpool needs a new right back because that sounds like a a very um, interesting subject to kind of get our teeth into. Um, there's one moment with Trent that sort of stood out to me. Um, he, he was kind of effectively playing as a right centre back um, alongside Virgil Van Dijk for a second, just in terms of where he was stood, and Van Dijk played the ball to him, and it was just kind of very uh, sterile. Um, horizontal possession for a second, and then Trent plays this pass through about three West Ham players into Gakpo. Who turns and shifts it onto Jones, and and it was literally just an attack coming out of absolutely nothing, and it was just a, such an incisive pass right through the heart of the West Ham team, and you know we can pick out sort of ten of those a game, and it was nice to hear on match of the day last night. Um, I think Lenica calling him the best passer of football in the Premier League, uh, which is a compliment he's had a few times, but um, maybe it's gone a little bit quiet this season amidst his uh, his struggles. Um, would would love to see. Uh... Him and Kevin De Bruyne on a training pitch, just ping, just pinging fifty yards. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be lovely, that, actually. Absolutely, and um, the only problem would be that they'd probably both be trying to hog that, uh, <laughs> hog that right channel. They'd be falling over each other. Sure. Um, so, one thing I want to touch on um, from the game, a bit of a subplot: John Henry, the uh, principal owner of Liverpool FC, in the stands. Um, he's not. I don't think he's been to a game for a good while. I mean, what did you make of the fact that he was there? And also, if if you're there as a snapshot of Liverpool's season, what kind of conclusions might you draw? It's interesting um, because we've seen Klopp recently as well, maybe speaking a bit more openly about the situation, um, saying that you know he 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 undoubtedly has the faith of the owners given what. You know what has been achieved under FSG, and we, we've we've got to say that FSG have been so important in what Liverpool have achieved in recent years. Yes, there's frustration. Yes, there's um, the idea that more could and should be spent. Um, but ultimately, I, I I remember we we spoke about this. I think when the investment story was coming, or the, the rumored investment story, um, and I said I remember back in. 2010 when FSG saved Liverpool and mm. that was such an important day and I, I, I will always thank them for that um, but you won't like, you, you must have been there for a reason I think um, yeah, we, he, I guess he can go to any game whenever he wants but I would like to think there's been a bit of dialogue maybe a bit more than other times between Jurgen Klopp and John Henry recently in terms of saying what is needed in the summer yeah. because ultimately for John Henry as well um, Liverpool have grown incredibly in terms of value since he bought the club absolutely but he knows now this season may have taken a hit for that value um, with not being in, with not finishing in the top four potentially and 
he he must know now that this summer will require a spending spree that we might not have seen for Liverpool before under yeah. under John Henry. Uh, I know you could look at under Suarez, but I, it, it, or when when Suarez left, rather. Yeah. Um, but certainly you don't want, but that it would be a spending spree without a big player leaving. Yeah. That's that's the difference. Yeah. And I think that is something that will have to happen. I think he knows it will have to happen as well. Because in American sports, it's all trades and stuff, isn't there? There's no sort of like yeah. mega spending spree to to compare. Mm. Um, so again, it might be something that he's not used to, but yeah. um, you know, he just looks at what his, what, uh, his um, compatriot Todd Bowley's done. Maybe, maybe not, not in the same, not in the same chaotic yeah. way. Please, John, if you're listening. Yeah. Um, but I think things are always talk about when when owners are there, aren't there? Because I remember. Uh, when Everton's chair, Everton's board were at West Ham. Um, I think it was the the game after Sampton when they when they didn't attend. Um, when they were advised not to attend, rather. Yeah. I mean, obviously this is very different circumstances, but hopefully he's over for a reason. Um, to, to talk with Klopp and, and invest and talk about investment because he'll know that more will be needed than uh, than uh, he's allowed in recent years. Yeah, and it's interesting the point you make about Bowley because you know they're both kind of owners of uh, US sports franchises. So I wonder if there is an element of uh, of being influenced in, in some way, and maybe of of competition. Um, it's interesting that that Henry will go to an away game. I know it's in London, um, but rather than going to Anfield, you know, you wonder why um, you might have done that. I, th- I think if we're being honest as well with that. I know I mentioned the Everton board earlier on, but. John Henry will know, you know, of the thoughts towards FSG. Yeah. Maybe even, you know, his, his wife, Linda Bazzuti, even if she looks on Twitter, looks on Instagram, she, she, yeah. she, she can see everything yeah. coming her way. Unfortunately, I, I don't look at every comment, but you can imagine there are comments on her posts and, and things about FSG, yeah. maybe about John, um, not that ever, I don't like that side of social media, but oh, okay. you can imagine, you can imagine those are, maybe things that she sees. So yeah. perhaps it was a good move to go to an away game as opposed to a game in Anfield just to be able to to watch a game and not have that animosity surrounding him. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I, I totally get what you mean, but at the same time, that that's my thinking behind it. Yeah. And there is a disconnect there between the kind of match going fans and the kind of social media ones. So I don't think yeah. I, I was thinking about it then to be fair, as I said it, you know, would there have been a risk of kind of a hostile reception, maybe from one or two supporters, but I don't think it, it would have been um sort of uh, you know, even it wouldn't have been like boo- it wouldn't have been like booze raining down. But exactly. I, I, yeah. As you say, only fifty thousand Liverpool fans can be in the stadium at one time. Yeah. And there's a couple of million around the world. So the ones that tweet and say things, they aren't the ones Exactly, yeah. In the stadium, absolutely. Um, well, I want to just have one more uh, talking points on West Ham uh, before we move on to Tottenham. But before that, a reminder that if you are listening on audio um, and enjoying the podcast, please do give us a five-star review. We had another one um, after the Forest podcast, and we really do appreciate that. Um, and also, you can follow the podcast, press the notification button, so it appears in your feed, and you get a uh, message every time we post a new episode. And also a reminder that you can email us at redsubrestrictedpodcast at gmail.com. So, Chris, we've got to talk about the penalty issue. 
David Moyes was absolutely seething at the end. I, I thought the red card was going to come out because of the intensity he was talking to the referee. Um, obviously, he was talking about when Thiago basically goes to ground, um, lunging in for a tackle, and the ball strikes his arm. What did you make of that incident? It is genuinely a tough one. Moyes was asked about it afterwards. Um, in terms, of, he, he was asked if it was Anfield. Do you think that would be? Do you think that would get given? And he, he just said, "What do you think?" Um, so that clearly, you know, showed his opinions on it. That he thought it was a stonewall penalty. I think there's a few different ways to look at it. We've talked about a ricochet, for example. Um, you know, can Tiago help? where it's gone can he move his arm probably not is it, un, is it an unnatural position I probably would say yes if I'm, if I'm overly honest or if, if I'm brutally honest but at the same time he's falling um, he's not able to, to move his arm uh, if it has taken a short range deflection as well that is something that I always think should come into account yeah. um, with regards to the decision look if, if, if you're a West Ham fan you're going to think it's a penalty, aren't you? And there's really, there really is nothing I can say towards that in terms of trying to convince West Ham fans that that it isn't. And to be honest, I think there's part of us as well that if it was the other way around, I think I think we would have wanted it. Mm. But at the same time, I can see why it was a difficult one for the referees. Um, as I said to you before we came on, I was just kind of hoping, yeah, just keep the ball, just keep the ball. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't let them go to the screen, just keep the ball. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, at the same time that I can see why it wasn't a penalty, I can see why West Ham fans would have been unhappy about it. Yeah, when I was watching it, um, I was worried, basically. Um, I was worried that it was going to get given. It was a very tense um, very tense minute or so um, as that VAR review um, was carried out. Um, just a little snippet um, from the rules and this is from the UEFA website uh, it says there'll be no penalty if the ball touches a player's hand or arm immediately from their own body or the body of another player and um, so maybe that's the uh, yeah that's the provision on which uh, Tiago has been spared um, but yeah it, I, I do think we would be pretty angry if Liverpool hadn't been given that and um, there'd be sort of uh, screenshots of it all over our yeah. all over our social media pages um, but you're not going to complain about a bit of luck because Liverpool are trying to win every single game between now and the end of the season and they're going to need um, quite a, a bit more luck than this, you'd imagine, to be able to do that. The next game, speaking of which, is Tottenham at home um, Sunday at half four. Chris, what have you made of the, the absolute mess at Tottenham recently with an interim manager being sacked after, what was it, four or five games and another interim manager coming in until the end of the season? Well, I've never seen an interim manager sacked, so I didn't know you could do it. <laughs> Just the first thing I yeah. thought. Um, mess was the word I was going to use. Um, wow. Wow, wow, wow. I was watch- uh, I saw a clip of a, a podcast um, the other day, and they said some fella, rack- some fella rocked up at a, uh, a fueling station. Went inside, went, got rented a few of his cars, did a little bit of shopping. He, he had the radio on and the, the game had just kicked off. By the time he got back to his car, it was 5-0. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. to be you know, to be fair, when you look at that Spurs lineup, 
and you saw four at the back. I think maybe we weren't expecting five nil down for twenty one minutes, but I think we all kind of thought we knew what was coming. Yeah, because you can't play Pedro Porro as a as a normal right back. You certainly can't play Ivan Perisic as a normal left back, and to play Eric Dyer and Christian Romero as a back two, you're asking for trouble. You 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 are asking for trouble. I know one of them is a World Cup winning centre back, but you're still asking for trouble. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's it's so strange to kind of analyse Tottenham um, because you know they have had some incredible displays. They were the last team to beat Manchester City in any competition, I think. So. You know, yeah. it, it, it just shows what they are are capable of on their day. They've still got Harry Kane, they've still got Kilman Son, who's been remarkably quiet this season, but he still has moments of quality. Dan yeah. Kulashevsky, I'm a fan, but he just hasn't turned up this season. Richardson, for me, is the flop of the season. Um yeah. I know I know he might not have been a first choice starter, but for sixty million pounds and no Premier League goals to date. It's it it's you know it tells its own story, doesn't it? Um, yeah. And as I mentioned, the defense you play Spurs play normally with three at the back, and as Paul Merson once said, you play three at the back when you're not good enough to defend as a two. And I looked at some of the comments when the team was posted on Sunday, and they were saying, "Okay, we've only got two defenders. Can you post the real team, please?" Yeah. Um, and look again, you, I don't want to be tempting fate with all this, but I'm just saying what I'm seeing. Um, I'm seeing a team that are in a bit of disarray right now. We'll know more after the Manchester United game this evening. Uh, I can't imagine they'll play with four at the back. I certainly can't imagine they'll play with four at the back against United or Liverpool. Um, And it kind of goes back to the rant that Conte effectively got sacked for when he was speaking nothing but facts. Admittedly, he might have literally been begging to be sacked because he couldn't take it anymore. But he, he was speaking... Facts, because this is this man's a serial winner, and he was saying, "I, I effectively, can't, I can't change the mentality here," because yeah. it was after the three-one against Southampton, where you, you go three-one up against the bottom team in the Premier League, yeah, and you and you draw three-three. Mm. So it, it just, just summed up really where, where Spurs were at the moment. Um, but again, it, 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 they have made life difficult for Liverpool at times in recent years at Anfield. Uh, I mean, last year was a crucial game, wasn't it? When uh, when when so- I got a feeling when I, I said before Son had scored that if, if Spurs scored, I didn't think Liverpool would get two, yeah. uh, just because the way the game was going. Uh, but ultimately, as you say, it's a game that Liverpool have to have to go into, knowing that you know if they're going to keep any faint hopes in the top four, it's got to be nothing short of a win against Spurs. Definitely, and let me just um, look back. So, so that game was the, the seventh of May. Last year, um, it felt it felt like a defining similar time. It did, but it's interesting to look back look back at that and think that was a Tottenham team who looked as kind of cohesive on the pitch as they had at any point since Pochettino had left. Yeah, um, and the optimism levels were so high. I mean, they, they were competing um, for a top four place with Arsenal, um, and uh, you know they obviously managed to do it. And then it looked like you know after the the summer that they had, you know it was it was seen as a really good summer. Um, that they could even, you know, be a team who kind of took a step up and were a bit of a dark horse in the title race. So it's unbelievable how quick the kind of optimism of that turned into just um, just an absolutely dire situation. Um, and the thing I think with with, with Tottenham is it, it was embarrassing that Liverpool were below them for so long. They, they've managed to to get above them now. Um, hopefully they can extend that advantage on Sunday. And 
obviously they're looking for a manager. Maybe it'll be an Argusman that comes in. But if I was an Argusman or you know any other kind of elite manager at the moment, I'd be you know I, I, I honestly think the risks for your reputation are too great yeah. of of going into that club at the moment. And I think it's a similar story for Chelsea. I'd almost be of a mind to um, wait it out a little bit, see if the next manager can um, build the club up a little bit, maybe restore a bit of order, and then maybe it's an attractive opposition further down the line. But but right now, I think um, it, it's incredible to see two big six clubs that I think should have so little appeal. Um, having said that, Pochettino... Looks yeah, like going to go to Chelsea. His first fans didn't have it bad enough at the moment. Yeah, exactly. You know, seeing so the the manager they probably all love most going to their biggest rival, well, second biggest rivals, obviously after Arsenal. Um, so Chris, we saw what happened last weekend at St James's Park. I mean, how confident are you for this one? It, it seems like Tottenham, as much as they've obviously got brilliant players, they're a potentially devastating counter attacking team against a team in Liverpool who struggled to defend those situations all season. Having said all of that, it seems like it's in the, the fibre of this team that if you put them under adversity, if you get the crowd on top of them and you put the, subject them to an onslaught, that unlike last season when they were kind of quite defensively resilient at this time, they could almost fall apart a little bit. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, Dave, one of the first things I thought after the Newcastle game, knowing obviously the, the game was coming up on Sunday, I know there were the midweek games, but I kind of thought back to August where United lost 4-0 at Brentford and I was seeing so much about what scoreline's going to be against Liverpool. Liverpool are going to destroy United, all this kind of stuff. And I sat back and I thought, well, they've had a bad start, but they've got a week to prepare. Ten Hag's going to make changes. He's going to analyse it to hell. Yeah. And I'm not saying I called what happened, but I was not nearly, I was not on the side of oh, Liverpool are going to go to Old Trafford and score five again. Yeah. I, I wasn't on that side. So, again, we'll see what they're like tonight under Ryan Mason. Uh, they can't be any worse mm. uh, because if they are, they'll be handing out another refund, um, which obviously that's divided opinion as well. But, yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I will say, um, and I'm not saying Diaz starting the game because I think he's still working his way back. But earlier on, when you when you mentioned Diaz for his one-on-one ability, yeah, Luis Diaz against Pedro Porro has the potential yeah. to get messy. Yeah, <laughs> it really does because I like Pedro Porro going forward, but he's the typical used to be a winger, can't defend as a as a wing, can't defend as a right back, not great yeah. as a wing back. Uh, and I think if Diaz was up, if Diaz is up against him in a one-on-one, I think he'd be licking his lips. Yeah, um, and, and we'll come on to uh, any other changes that you might make in a second. Um, you are right, actually. You know, it's not the ideal time to to talk about Spurs in a way, just because you know they are now under new management again, and they're about to play Man United at home. I mean, if they can kind of find some sort of balance under Mason and, and get a win against United, then the mood will be transformed. But I think even if they manage to do that, I, I do genuinely believe that, you know, as much as Liverpool have, have wilted under adversity this season, you know, Tottenham are, are even worse in, in, in that department. And I am, you know, hopefully this doesn't age too badly, but I am very, very confident about this game. Um, I'm probably more confident for this game than I have been for um, the past well, certainly West Ham away and Leeds away, just with, with it being at Anfield and us kind of rising to it in, in big games. Um, 
I think Liverpool will get the job done on Sunday, and I think it would be a really, uh, really poor to, to do any to do anything else against uh, a Tottenham team in the current situation and uh, the contrast in form. Um, so, Chris, you've mentioned potentially bringing Diaz into the team. What would this sort of look like for you? Obviously, maybe can I say coming back to if he's uh, if he's available? Yeah, that was the one for me. Um, mm. Just with <clears throat> with this pace of Son and Kulishevsky, yeah, I think Kanate is much more suited to that than than Joel Matip, and it does sound fine on Kanate just based on what Klopp was saying. Yeah, that it, it was very minor. Why? Mm. In fact, Kanate wanted to play. Klopp was like, "No, we're gonna we're gonna make you rest effectively." Yeah. So I I would expect Kanate to come back in against Tottenham. Yeah. Uh, just one like one little mention as well. Very late on in the podcast as well, because you were talking about changes and that. I think it was another good display from Curtis Jones last night. And we're, we're seeing him get games in a row now. Um, we're seeing him be able to impose himself a little bit. And it's one of them where if you wanted him to come in against Spurs, you have to find justification for it. And right now, if I'm looking at a player to drop out of the midfield, maybe for Thiago, it probably would be Jordan Henderson at the moment, just because I, am, you know, I don't think Curtis Jones has done anything wrong. Um, the front three, again, Salah, Gakpo, nailed on positions. It's just their left-hand side. And I'm saying Diaz to come on later on because fresh fresh Diaz legs against that Spurs defence yeah. of Porro, Romero, Dyer, who I, I, on the presumption they're going to play a third centre-back, Sanchez. Hmm. He he can he can run riot when he gets that ball in le- later on in those kind of positions. So, um, <clears throat> Jotter or Nunez on that left hand side, I think he will probably go with Jotter again just for that just for that pressing. But yeah, I I, I think though that's the main consideration for me. Yeah, um, Thiago, I would bring back in. I, I just think you know the way he's played after. The, uh, the bench the past couple of games. I mean, obviously the, the penalty issue um, is there, but I think generally speaking, he, he needs to be starting at this point. Um, but yeah, it's interesting, you know, who, who drops out. I mean, we saw Thiago slightly unusually on the right side yesterday um, instead of Henderson. So maybe there's a Fabinho, Thiago, Jones uh, midfield there. And the front three is a, is a tricky one. I'd probably stick with what we had against West Ham in the knowledge that you can change it quite early as Klopp did yesterday. But yeah, I think that'll about wrap us up for this episode then. Uh, we'll be back after that Tottenham game to give all our reaction to that as we reach now what is the final six games of the Premier League season. We really are into the home stretch now and we'll see if Liverpool can mount any sort of last last gasp top four bid. Um, but yeah, like I say, we'll see you after that Tottenham game. And uh, in the meantime, take care and enjoy your weekend.